Nice Games Club is on break for the next few weeks, so your nice host can take time to wrap up work on Widget Satchel. Coming to PC, Xbox One, PS4, and Nintendo Switch in 2019. In the meantime, we picked out a few of our favorite episodes from the first two years in the clubhouse. This is episode 15, We Are Artists and We Should Be Artists. Demoing and playtesting, project management, and messages and meaning. My favorite topics are the topics where we get more personal with the content, the ones that we talk about things we're passionate about, even though those are the topics I have the hardest time talking about. I think this one was particularly good. Also, we talk about playtesting, which is important, so you should hear it again. Be nice. Have a listen. We're really Woo. prepared for this one, aren't we? Oh, yes, definitely. definitely <laughs> totally prepared. prepared. We didn't write our notes at the last minute or nothing. <laughs> Weeks no. of work this episode. Weeks of work. <laughs> um, before we get into our topics, we got a couple of pieces of business to talk yeah. about, right? Another uh, review on iTunes. Yay! Which is cool from our friend Lane. My partner. Thank you. Uh, here. That's right. He, makes, uh, he helps me make fringes. Um, but he had a really honest, frank assessment of the show, which was, at first, he was very nice mm-hmm. about it as well. Um, but he had some good feedback for us about our topic choices and about choosing things that engender uh, maybe not conflict or maybe not even disagreement, but a broader range of opinions among the hosts. And so um, and I think that's pretty good advice, would yeah. you say? Yeah. Um, so hopefully Lane will do you proud uh, going forward. We prepared a lot for this one, so get ready for a treat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, what else is going on in the uh, local community? There's Ice Cold Game. Yay! Yeah. Which is really exciting. Uh, it's a it's a co- collective collective of um, events happening here, here locally, and also of all of the game communities here mm-hmm. in Minnesota. Yes, in Minnesota. Uh, yeah. Developer Zach Johnson uh, used his Global Game Jam time to instead of building a game, he built a community website. And so, uh, if you're a member of the Minneapolis Twin Cities Minnesota Game Dev community, uh, get in touch with him. He'll uh, give you a login, and you can add your events, your games, your stuff. It's going to be collectively managed. It's a pretty cool idea. Uh, it's icecold.games. It's yes. the site. We'll put it all in the show notes uh, as well as get, into, get in touch with Zach. It's also nice because you can always know the temperature here in St. Paul. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it has a live thermometer as well, which, you know, that's important for a website. <laughs> of course. That. I mean, that's you the first thing you come up with. You're like, oh, we need, you know, like the color scheme and the temperature right. and the... <laughs> <laughs> always. <laughs> And then our last bit of news, Stephen, uh, you're putting together something. I did. I made a uh, feedback form. I'm looking for feedback on the Nice Games Club. Yeah, the show's been around for a little while now, mm-hmm. and we want to hear directly from you. We've asked that every episode, um, but we want to maybe formalize a little bit more. Yeah, it's that. hard to just to go out and throw something out there. Yeah. It's really nice <laughs> when people do, but like we understand that it's really hard to mm-hmm. like, just start a conversation with us. So we're ma- Stephen made something to make it. Easy for you to talk to us. Yeah. So what kind of feedback are we expecting? Well, you? we're looking for uh, feedback on how long the episodes are, the kinds of topics we're talking about, things like that. Mm-hmm. So if you guys have opinions, you can do it anonymously so we don't have to know who you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not like an essay. You've got like multiple choice. And yeah, it's, yeah. It should, should be quick and easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to put it up. Uh, hopefully by the time this episode's out, it'll be up. NiceGames.club slash feedback. So check it out there, and uh, it's going to help make the show better. Yeah. Cool. All right. Are we ready to get into this extremely well-prepared episode? Of course. All right, Stephen, get us started. Yeah, so I'm here to talk about demoing and playtesting your games. I mean, I'm the expert here. I do this all the time. Um, <laughs> you are, in fact, the expert. <laughs> you do this, like, for a living, basically. Yeah, yeah, really. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm, QA, I'm a QA intern at Concrete Software, so I playtest things constantly. That is, and I get paid to do it. But I also playtest things here at Glitch sometimes. Um, 
we have playtest events, literally called playtest. Uh, and so I do that right, quite frequently whenever it's up. And I used to do it every week back when it was every week, too. Mm-hmm. So I want to know how you guys feel about demoing. Well, I mean, there's, this is sort of two categories, right? It's demoing, like at events, sort of right. promotional. And yes. then, but really, you're talking about first, anyway, playtesting. Yes, right? specifically right now, playtesting, yep. Yeah, I, I mean, I get a lot out of it myself. Mm-hmm. Um, at the, when we have the events here at Glitch, um, and uh, when I, you know, I have the opportunity elsewhere to just show my game in progress to people who either haven't played it before or aren't as familiar with my process, you know, what, I, what I'm doing right now, just to get a fresh set of eyes on it, um, or um, someone who's played it and ha- can evaluate changes that have been made recently. Um, that's great just to observe, but um, I know that I'm not as good at it as you are, Stephen. Like, <laughs> uh, um, but honestly, like taking notes, observing player behavior, and asking the right questions, but I do quite like uh, the discussions that, it, that come from, from it. And I don't know that I'm doing it right, but I know mm-hmm. I get a lot of really good feedback just from chatting with people as they play, after they play. Yeah. Not in any kind of formal sense, but you've got a system, right? I, I, I wouldn't call it a system. I just kind of feel <laughs> it out. But like, I, I basically, I, yeah, like, like Mark was saying, I observe uh, the players as they're playing the game. I try not to talk to them while they're doing it because that's distracting. Um, and not only that, but it might influence uh, their opinion on, mm-hmm. or what they give you as feedback. Um, I let them, basically what I do is I have them sit down and play Finn. Um, I don't tell them how to play it. I'm just like, hey, there's this cool game, guys. It's a co-op, cooperative shoot-em-up. Um, and so they do it. Uh, and Fingence is fairly simple to uh, grasp on the controls, so they normally figure it out right away. But if they don't, I take note on that. Um, and then I'm just constantly taking notes on things that happen. A lot of times there are bugs or something, and I'll take notes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes people will be very verbal about um, things they like or dislike, so I'll, I'll jot those down too. And then I try to ask specific questions afterwards um, on impressions that they felt like. Let's say uh, this character might have been too difficult, so I ask this character or I ask this person, "How did you feel about bubbles today?" And then they'll be like, "Oh, bubbles was really fun. I had a kind of a difficulty at this boss, but..." And so I get quality feedback from that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really useful. Um, I find it to be extremely useful because uh, I remember when I when I first made. I think I've talked about this on the show before, but I, when I first made Fingence, it was a completely different game. We had been working on it for about three months. Uh, it was supposed to be a mobile game. What? That, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, Whoa. really? Maybe I haven't talked about it. Well, shoot. Okay. Um, here's the, here's his feel. Uh, Lane's probably cringing right now because he <laughs> nice. <laughs> he's, he's, he knows the story. But um, so yeah, I was developing Vengeance to be a mobile game because it was supposed to be a way smaller game than it was now, mm-hmm. or it is now. I know um, that part. <laughs> um, and so we had this was the first game that me and Lane had ever. Coded the first thing really me and Lena never coded. So we worked on it for about three months and we were going to show it off at uh, at the state fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we did that. We we made the code and it, I mean it, some of the stuff was hard coded because we did a little we did some stuff at the last minute, it was a little rushed, but we did it and we showed it off to people and it was terrible. It's <laughs> not it was not people were not understanding what was supposed to happen and it was a confusing thing. The game you were supposed to be you were supposed to be on a, in the ship and you just moved horizontally. You would tap on the left and the right uh, thing to move. We didn't have it on a mobile phone at the time, though. Okay. We just used arrow keys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it would automatically shoot. And then by, after the end of the level, you would get a random power-up that would give you a benefit and a disadvantage. So let's say like one of the power-ups was a Gatling gun, and it would give you increased attack speed, uh, but at the cost, or you would move more slowly as you were shooting. 
Sure. So over time, you would just slow down. And it was supposed to be a party thing. So you would like pick something that would screw up other people so you could get more points than the other person. And then ah. you would compete to see who would get the most. It just ended up being way too confusing and uh, uh-huh. not very fun. So mm-hmm. we scrapped that. And now we have current Fingen. <laughs> which it's is like the origin story for your like obsession with playtest feedback. Actually, yes. <laughs> I love that, is, it. <laughs> that is literally the origin because now I've learned so much from that. I was like, because we spent three months on this and we just didn't show it to anybody. We just worked on it on our own. Right. Like, oh yeah, this game's perfect. Well, mm-hmm. not perfect, but <laughs> we thought this game was pretty good. And then we showed it off and we found out that there were so many things wrong with it that I never want to have that experience again. Um, and so I'm very open about showing my game off as soon as possible. And I try to get people to show their games off as soon as possible. But I know that people have issues with that. Well, not issues. It, they have difficulty doing it because it's hard to show your game off for the first time. Right, right. Especially when it's not finished. You're oh, like, yeah. I don't want to be judged. Yeah. Right? It's, it's, I mean, you don't want to see the novel that you have in your drawer until you've tweaked out you know, all the bits. Games don't work exactly that way. But even it's true in all arts, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But um, when you have almost nothing, yeah, you just have the core of something and it barely works. Like it's, there's almost no motivation to show it to anybody. Right, right. right? Yeah, that's, but I, I always feel like showing it off to people is not only motivating because oftentimes people will at least find something good about the game. Hopefully, anyways. <laughs> um, but we should all be so lucky. <laughs> but you also are able to understand what works about your game and what doesn't, what you need to fix and what doesn't need fixing um, right away. And so if you find that people are just not enjoying the game or you're not enjoying watching people play the game, then it's probably not a project you want to continue. And you can stop within a month after you've prototyped or something. Mm-hmm. But if you spend three months on something and you're like, this is going to be great, then you and and end up showing it off and people don't like it, then that's three months that you're not going to get back on your project. Right. You, you'll end up putting, what they say, uh, good money after bad. Right, it's with that same with time. I suppose if you're invested in it, yeah, no amount of proper feedback will get you to change course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're already too far into it, I suppose. Um, so yeah, uh, Martha, you had told me a little bit before the show here that you don't enjoy showing off your game playtesting. Well, I'm, it's not that I don't enjoy it. I just, I guess I've liked demoing more than I've liked playtesting okay. because I, I maybe it's an attention span thing. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> But I like playtesting other people's games more than I like. Hmm. Like, maybe it's just because I haven't had a game that's my own that I make all the decisions on or I make the majority of the decisions on that I've been playtesting. Like, I've shown off uh, when I worked for North Games, I was showing Chimera Genesis and getting feedback on stuff stuff that I made in the game, but not necessarily, like, it wasn't my baby or whatever. Like, it's not. Oh, sure. Yeah. I I couldn't make any decisions off off of, I could try to, you know, tell the team like, oh, I I think we should do this based off of the feedback, but it mm-hmm. wasn't like I had no personal investment in it really. Sure. Um and then with Clawbreaker, we've just demoed it instead of Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> we've never really play tested it really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, um, that one came out perfect. Right I mean, of course. Yes, there's <laughs> nothing wrong with it in any way. Uh, yeah, but that's been really, like, I really like demoing it. I really like showing it off. And I think that if I had a game that I was making and I was designing, mm-hmm. it would be, I would, I'm really interested to see how it would go. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Playtesting it. And 
is scary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like just thinking about like the little things that I've made. Like I post some of it on Twitter, but half of it I'm like, this isn't really a thing yet. <laughs> like I don't know yeah. what to, I don't even know what to bring yet to a playtest. Like sure. every week I'm like, oh man, or every month. Mm. Now the playtest is every month. Yeah. I think I'm like, oh, I should bring something. Like I have this thing mm. that's like not even, it's not even anything playable. It's like, here's some art. Like, mm. <laughs> um, so yeah. Well, you'll forgive me for psychoanalyzing you a bit, but like, this is a really welcoming environment. It's about a perfect scenario for someone to show off something that they just did. Yeah. And it's, you still find it a little difficult, which I think that's just proof of how hard it is mm -hmm. to sort yeah. of break that barrier. Like, like Stephen, you had a big, like you have your origin story. Yeah. And I have something similar, which I can talk about, but like you, once, once you, once you've done it, then it, it's like, why wasn't I doing this all the time? Right. But there is no amount of, I don't know how much we're going to convince anybody listening that, that hasn't gotten to that point yet. Because it is, it's really difficult to show it off and to accept the feedback. And like, I know that. I know, I know it's not working yet. I know. And to sift out the, what's good and what's not from the, from the feedback you get. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I guess at this point I've just done that so many times that I'm immune <laughs> to that. <laughs> kind of. But I totally understand. Like, it's not, it's not easy to do that. Because, I mean, you've worked on, you put something, you put a little bit of yourself into this game. And you're trying to show it to people. And then they're critiquing it. It's like they're kind of critiquing you in a way. Yeah. So I, I totally get that. Mm -hmm. I, I was so impressed with my brother after not knowing anybody here. Like he's talked here, heard me talk about Glitch and how awesome everyone is here. Mm -hmm. But like I convinced him to come to a play test with his, what, his, what's VR, the, his VR yeah, Attack on Titan game. But I'm trying not to say Attack on Titan. Oh, the okay. thing we've came up with that's the Assault on Leviathan. That's oh, right. Yes, it's <laughs> <laughs> um, um, yeah, Assault on, on Leviathan VR game. Uh, and yeah, he brought it to playtest and had people play it. And I think he found it super valuable, mm -hmm. um, just to see people having fun playing it and being like, oh yeah, this is a cool concept and hearing Ava tell him like, oh, I would totally make this game with you, especially if you made it so that you play the Leviathan. Ah, oh. Um, so yeah, so we got some good feedback on all of that and mm -hmm. got to see how different people react. So yeah, really good thing to do. Yeah, for sure. Well, I can, I can talk a little bit about sort of how I broke yeah, that barrier. Yeah, like, I'd love to hear it. So I was working on Metro Nexus for like on and off. It was less than a hobby for almost a year. Mm. Um, and it was made as an homage to an old NES game that I really liked, but no one else did. And that's like, the whole story of that. And so I was just working on City it. Connect. City Connection. City Connection, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Obstacle cat. Right. <laughs> but, I, you know, it, was, it, was a, it, was, uh, it wasn't even really a project I had any interest in bringing forward. Yeah. It was something I wanted to try to do. I was testing out a new uh, engine that, it, that I, was, I was working with. And, um, but at a certain point, I was like, okay, I got more invested in it. I'm like, uh, maybe I should start showing this to people. Mm -hmm. And this is a single-player game at this, at this point. It was basically uh, um, just replicating the original mechanics of that game. That was all I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to grow it from there, but that was the first sort of like prototype I wanted to build. Yeah. And once I got sort of that far, mm -hmm. um, uh, I went to my first um, IGDA meeting and Ryan told this story on the show that uh, we went out to the bar uh, afterward and I, I brought up my laptop and I, these are all people I didn't know and never met and I showed off my thing and, and some people tried it and I wouldn't call it, well, okay, it was I guess a total disaster. <laughs> like, in the sense that nobody understood what it was or what could be fun about it. Yeah. Like, I, I knew it wasn't Fun on its own that it wasn't it was just a demonstration of this mechanic um, that was sort of the core of the game um, but nobody really got it and I was sort of there trying to explain it like 
but 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 and they were like not they didn't care like it, mm. they I wasn't being judged at all but I felt like that I felt like oh I need to explain why this is fun and then maybe we can talk about it and then I can get some real I, so I got very I got almost no good feedback from that mm. but it was it told me that I needed I needed to actually show it to people yeah. uh, more than I had up to that point yeah because I really had an impression of like what people would ask about it, like what exactly. people would what people would not find fun. And I was ready for like, oh, I'm ready for the answer to this question you have. I didn't get any of those questions, so that basically told me how wrong I was about that idea. Yeah. And then um, I, you know, then I worked on the game a little more, and I showed it, you know, to, to close friends before I really was part of this community uh, in in full. And that's then I developed the multiplayer mode and showed that off immediately. As soon as it was ready, and that is when I developed the taste for playtest feedback. Mm-hmm. Is um, is 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 from showing something that I had built yesterday, mm-hmm. um, and it's been that way ever since. And so it's not exactly the same story, but I think it has a lot of the same notes. Yeah, yeah. Um, that is, yeah. As soon as you can, just yeah, you bring it, bring it in, show it, and you don't, you're not so invested in it. That you care if people hate it, or or worse, that they ignore it, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, and then you can still get little in, you know, it's a small piece, so you can get specific feedback rather than like uh, evaluate the seven months of nonsense I've been working on. It has eight hundred parts. Let me explain them all to you. Yeah, <laughs> you know, even if it's not a lot to it, it's you have all those little things you want to say about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you just built it yesterday, uh, you don't, you can't possibly have much to say about it, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a lot of the reason why it's valuable to me is because you you know you know you know what's right about your game and what's wrong. Like you were just saying, Mark, like mm-hmm. uh, you you got questions you weren't expecting because you had been working on it on your own. Yeah, and you the reason you're you you understand what the game is about already. But other right. people who just started the game, they have no idea what it's supposed to be about, so mm-hmm. they'll ask different questions because they have a different impression of it. Mm-hmm. Um. A lot of people just say that, like, you just get too close to your game. You're you're the worst playtester for your own game because you're too close to it. Yeah, you understand the game the most out of anybody in the world, um, and so you need to distance yourself from it by having other people play it mm-hmm. and having them give you feedback and getting their perspective so you can understand what it is that other people enjoy about it. Like, like that, <laughs> that's really important. I find. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Actually, I want to talk about like playtesting strategies. Okay, a little bit. Um, so, like for example, uh, I when I like I said when I'm uh, playtesting or Finjin, um, I like to just let them play the game and not ask or not tell them how to play it or anything like that because that mm-hmm. paints them an, an impression on them. Even I like I might explain what Finjin is just to get people to play it. I'll say I'll say like the cooperative uh, shoot 'em up, and then they'll be like, "What? I don't know what that is." And then they'll try it, <laughs> and then they understand it right away because there's yeah. like three buttons. But um, yeah, I find that unless really... you're playing Marlin. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Oops, spoilers. <laughs> Not quite in the game yet. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, it, it's fine. Uh, a little preview for the nice game called. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I find that very useful because uh, you understand what it is they people pick up on right away and what things they don't pick up on right away. Yeah. Um, and so if there, because sometimes there are things that just people won't pick up on right away, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Like. Uh, maybe they don't understand the concept of a cooldown on a gadget in Finjins or something. And I'd be like, okay, that's all right, because it, it'll come, it, you'll understand it over time. Yeah. But um, if they don't know that the A button is to shoot, for example, that would be really bad, because that's basically half the things you do. More than half. That's like the whole game. 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so if, if they have an issue with that, then I have to go back to the drawing board and make sure that that is very clear to them. So maybe I'd have to explain it and better in the controls or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Or make it more intuitive to players um, for them to understand. Yeah. I've definitely found that as time has gone on, I've had less of an instinct to explain how the game works. Mm -hmm. But I actually, I think that's not because I'm getting better at holding my tongue. I think it's because my game is now easier to play than it was before. Um, And I think the the sort of dogma you get about playtesting, and I know, Stephen, you're a big proponent of this, is that you you say as little as possible. Yeah. Especially when players start, because you want to know, like, can they get through the menus? Do they understand how it works? Do they understand the core concept of the game? Right. And I would say that I'm a little skeptical of that as dogma. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my game is not complicated, but I feel like if I have, if I explain the the it, it's a competitive game, if I explain the goal of the game uh, to players, I don't feel like I'm biasing them in the mm-hmm. way that um, there's certain things I I feel comfortable explaining without letting having them figure it out because it's the kind of thing you'll read in the description on the store page, or it's the kind of thing. That will be in the manual if you bother to read it. Yeah, I, and okay, and I I think that there's a tendency, and this is a lot of a user experience uh, um, in software development as well. This idea to be like really intuitive, mm-hmm. and I feel that something should be easy to use over being easy to learn. Yeah, um, but there's a balance there. Right. So uh, that's something I believe just from a UX perspective, but but it kind of bumps up against that that idea that you should just be totally hands off. And I know that that's not a super popular opinion about playtesting. Well, I, I think in some ways that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, like, if you're testing something that you don't have the feedback for and yet, like, I don't know, uh, you were testing uh, a boss that had a particularly strange mechanic that players probably wouldn't understand. And we didn't have the tech in to explain it yet. Sure. So I explained it to them right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can still observe, um, you can still observe their behaviors and things um, despite that. But I feel like, it's particularly in your game, Mark, mm-hmm. I feel like that uh, explaining like the goal of the game yeah. changes how people will play the, or approach the game. That might not have been the best example because my game is specifically ambiguous yeah. about the <laughs> player's motivation. I suppose. But in fact, that's kind of, I do sort of say like you can play for this reason or that reason. Mm-hmm. And that discovery, I think, is valuable to the player who buys the game and plays it. Yeah. But I also... I, I kind of know how that works. I know how people have discovered that. Sure. Um, You're uh, just looking for different feedback. and so you... I suppose so, Okay. I guess. But also, I don't... Maybe it's because I feel this way about spoilers, right? Mm-hmm. Like, spoilers don't ruin the movie. Yeah. Um, and so I kind of feel... Yeah, I, it's not a super defensible position, but I feel it instinctually that, like, sometimes a player can... If, they're, if it's, a game doesn't immediately hit them, they don't totally understand how to play it, that's not a failure of the game, yeah. necessarily. Um, I, I like to have faith that if someone is interested enough in my game to buy it, they will put in the few minutes it takes to learn it. Um, whereas at a playtest session, they may not have that patience. Okay. And so I, I feel like it's a different environment. And I feel like it, it's very tempting to gear your game towards a playtest environment rather than a, the environment the game will eventually live, mm-hmm. which is in someone's Steam library or whatever. Yeah. Right? Well, I feel like when I'm demoing a game, Mm-hmm. I will say different things, like I will choose to say different things than I would if I was playtesting it. Yeah, like, sure. for example, we took Chimera Genesis to a, a when I was working for North Games to a, um, I think it was the BushCon thing. It was like a, a Bush Foundation 
event. Oh. So there was a lot of people there who don't traditionally play games, especially yeah. not with a gamepad. Oh, sure. And so uh, I did a lot of explain, like a lot of explaining about mechanics, mm-hmm. um, more than I would with in a playtest environment because. The point of the playtest is to see can they get the controls, and the point of the demo was will they like like will they get a good impression from this game, and if yeah. they can't even get past the first room, no is not the answer is no. Yeah, <laughs> right, right, um, right, right. So if you were playtesting, like if you like you were saying, like you have a specific boss that you mm-hmm. want to playtest, right? Like yes, explaining people up to that boss so that you can get you don't have to like watch all the things that you know are going to happen for them. And only get the, you only need this specific feedback on this. Like when, for example, we were playtesting this new character <laughs> with Steven, and I think you did. It was such it was such a good thing. Like you put one like one person on that character, mm-hmm. and then you had them go through a specific level. Right. Uh, yep. Told us a little bit about how to do the thing, but yeah. not totally all the things, so you could watch us both learn it, but also not get too frustrated with it. Yeah. I thought, yeah, it was. Just the right amount of information. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it it varies, and I think demoing is a different beast entirely. I'm actually kind of not great at demoing because I treat them like playtests, <laughs> <laughs> and so I'll have people just like I'll say, "Hey, you want to play Vengeance?" and then they play it, and I don't explain anything. But really, <laughs> at this point, Vengeance runs itself, so I don't really yeah, have yeah. to explain it too much, which is nice. Well, but that's uh, it's interesting because your game is really suited to that type of monitor and player monitor yeah because it does play itself that's right and like yeah. like i was like i like i say i'm worried about gearing too much to that environment but Fingence is perfect for that like you don't have to i don't think you have any risk of 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 the playtest environment biasing your development strategy no. but Fingence is so intuitive in that way and that's a st- core strength of the game mm-hmm. Um, so maybe you don't have to worry about not demoing that well because it demos pretty well on its own. Yeah, it does. I just basically am there just in case a bug shows up. Right. And that happens more <laughs> often than I care to admit. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a whole spiel like, that I do. Oh? When I, when I demo, oh, yeah. When I demo Metro Nexus. You yeah. do. Um, I don't know if people like it. I don't... Well, well, I don't, well, we'll have the listeners judge that, Mark. Oh, yeah? You need to go over it right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know what we should do, actually, is we should... We should get. I'm saying this now on the show, so listeners can hold us accountable. Uh, let's put on our YouTube channel um, uh, some a video of us giving our spiels. Oh wow! Uh, with gameplay video in the back. What, what, does that sound like a good idea? <laughs> okay, we can try that. Yeah. Oh yeah, we have a YouTube channel now. Everybody. Oh right, other piece of meta. We might <laughs> we might want to record that and put it at the top of the show. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, if you listen to us on a, uh, a podcatcher or on our website. Uh, you can also uh, get us on YouTube, mm-hmm. uh, which we put up there for organic uh, discovery. And because some people just prefer to listen to things, uh, music or otherwise, uh, on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, big thanks to Will Tice. That was his idea, a uh, previous guest on the show. Uh, he said, do this. And we're like, of course, we should. <laughs> anyway, back to playtesting. Yes, back to playtesting. Or maybe demoing. We want yes, to, uh, I think we moved on to demoing. Yeah. So Martha, what do you, well, you like oh. demoing? Yes. Okay, what do you like about it? Well... I uh, the extrovert side of me comes out, and mm-hmm. I really like talking to people. And I uh, I bring out my cutest persona, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> um, and try to get people excited about the game, and that right. makes me excited about the game, and it's just fun. When you get to do your crab walk, yeah. And I mean, I'm a little bit biased because crab 
Clawbreaker is so fun to demo. Like yeah. it's it's perfectly made for demoing. Like yeah, because the rounds are so short, so you can get people into it really quickly. Mm-hmm. And there's enough like weirdness about it that there's some you know, interesting explaining to do, and it's interesting to see how different players take the controls, the weird control scheme. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's just fun to be a crab. <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> I like, and I, it it's. Uh, there's a certain skill to demoing too because you have to it's like cra- like working a crowd a yeah, little bit because yeah, you have yeah. to look around and you have to like do devious things like catch people's eyes so then they feel uncomfortable with just walking away mm-hmm. like I do do that yeah. like I, I I ask people if they're just sitting there watching the game I ask them if they want to play fantasy. that's important I think yeah you have to look at people and, and try to like encourage them to play especially mm-hmm. people who are like really quiet and don't want to like are obviously a little bit interested but don't want to, but like just putting the control in their hand or putting the mouse in their hand and being like, try this. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it is interesting when you see someone standing around and you're like, hey, do you want to? I, the thing I say all the time is when I've got two players, I always use the line like, hey, we got a couple extra seats. <laughs> like I, I make it as if like I'm assuming they want to play. Yeah, and I'm just like saying, oh, hey, uh, you can play. It turns out. Yeah, and <laughs> that works pretty well. But then there's people who like begrudgingly do, and like yeah. my, the best moments I have demoing is when they end up liking it, mm-hmm. or they end up sticking around for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess I'm not really a salesman, but like that is that must be what salesmen feel <laughs> when like you stick your foot in the door and they're like, oh, I don't want you here, and then you end up buying all their encyclopedias. <laughs> That's probably the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I guess uh, for particularly with our games, we all have multiplayer games. So yeah, right. I, I find it helpful if one person is just like I don't, I don't have anybody yet. Finishing. And one person is looking around, looking interested. I'll ask them to play, and I'll join them too. Yes, yes. Uh, because that gives them. Well, it's especially important in Finnish because multiplayer is just the superior mode. <laughs> but, uh oh, <laughs> well, shots uh, fired. <laughs> so I try to play them. I try to play the game with them too. If uh, nobody else is around, I think yeah, that's important. Yeah. If you have a multiplayer game, and your the multiplayer experience is more mm-hmm. is more enjoyable. It's helpful to have them experience that with. It. I find it so hard for Clawbreaker mm. to oh, play right. with them yeah. because one, either I'm so much better at it than them because yeah. I just know the controls. And well, the it's route. a one-on-one fighting game, right? Yeah. So you. Oh, right. Of, yeah, I yeah. haven't explained that. It's a one-on-one <laughs> crab fighting game, which both me and Steven worked on. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, what's even worse is when I'm worse at it than them and then oh. they're like oh I'm better than the creator what no <laughs> yeah and you then just want to sock them just yeah to... and I'm like yeah I should be the best I'm gonna be the best <laughs> um, so in that that I find kind of hard yeah I think also that's another difference between demoing and playtesting and with playtesting I try not to play with them because yeah. I think it will, my playing would bias oh yeah, yeah. Well, you get almost no feedback from yeah. yeah, yeah, that's one thing I definitely uh, don't do is during play testing sessions I won't play with people because sometimes mm-hmm. it's useful to have uh, feedback on single player sessions, but that rarely happens because there's normally one or two people. Right, right. But um, well, yeah, Fingeance can be a single player game. It can, and I say can be like if Lane's listening, he would be like he's shaking his because <laughs> <laughs> it's a, quite a good single player experience. Yeah. Um, and so you have some advantages there, and you can play with because it's co op, so it's not yep. you can be as good as you want. Right. You know, or you can just lay about in the corner. It doesn't really matter. Mm. Um, I know with Metro Nexus, it does have a single player mode. It does have a co-op mode, but by design, those are not as fun. Yeah. And so um, it's very difficult when I have one person show co- show up. 
the thing I've taken to doing is one person will come by and I'll explain to them right away. Like, like it's not as fun with just two players, if, especially if I'm one of them. Let me show you how it works and then I'll get somebody over here and then you can totally beat them. Mm-hmm. That actually is motivating to, especially when I'm demoing particularly. The people will be like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll be your ringer. Like, I'll bring me some lambs to slaughter. Like, okay. that, and that, that gets, then I can get a second person over. And yeah. like, then, then it just, then it can run itself. Okay. Um, then more people will come um, so that's the if you have a game that's competitive by nature, that is a little trick I've used. Mm. Um, the other thing that we've all done is we have been the other player for yeah. each other's oh, games. Oh yeah, that's right. I've been that's player two true. in Clawbreaker, and I'm rubbish at that game. So <laughs> I'm actually pretty good at showing it off, but also playing it with people. Um, and I love playing Fingence with uh, strangers at events. Like that's yeah. so much fun. And I love going into Metro Nexus and playing the secret mode. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> secret mode. What's this? It's not really a secret mode. It's just like when you clear um, all of the tiles, uh, the game ends. And so I consider that to be my victory goal. Right. <laughs> right. The, Steven wants to play the co-op only mode. Yeah. But when no one else is playing co-op, it's yeah. nearly impossible to win that way. Yeah. Um, as a team. And but Steven takes it as a, I win sometimes. Sometimes he does. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not it's not impossible. Right, right. <laughs> oh, I that's what I choose to do too. Yeah. All like right. I just go for the most tiles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't even know how to shoot really. Well so. <laughs> Well, so you don't even care about points or tiles. You just want you just want the team to win. Yeah, right. right. That's it, it, yeah. If somebody else wins, we all lose. You guys are weirdos. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's enough demoing of playtesting. You think so? Yeah, I think okay. you've done a good job. It's a it's a topic that really we could go on and on about, and yeah. I expect Forever. us to revisit it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. We definitely nice. will come back to it. All right. Well, when we get back, we've got uh, um, some serious stuff hear from Martha on project management. Super serious. Now we're back. (laughs) It's a very convincing transition. (laughs) With my topic, which is project management. The best topic, one might say. So exciting. The best topic. (laughs) Well, to me, it's really great. I love love management. It's fun. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So... Basically, what project management is, is someone or the group deciding to organize your, all your tasks and when to do them and how to do them and who's doing them. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I wanted to go around and ask you guys, what do you use for, there's like lots of different tools and ways to do project management. Um, and I was asking you, what do you guys do for your team? Like if you have a team or if you work by yourself, do you use project management tools or or um Frameworks, I guess, mm-hmm. and why is it important for indies to have yeah. project management? That's a good question. Uh, don't really have good project management tools we use. <laughs> Probably should because we've been doing this for a while. Uh, we had attempted to use Trello. We used that for a little bit. It just didn't end up working out for us. It was hard to manage. Uh, and really, we all work differently from one another. Like I, I we all, I guess we all work best with bite-sized pieces. Yeah, but like. Lane likes keeping things organized, and whenever he types up documents and stuff, he keeps things organized and stuff, which is really nice. But um, he likes having things organized and like having a deadline to set for him and things like that. I don't like having deadlines. I just like knowing what I need to do for the day and then doing that and then moving on to the next day. Sure. So I plan out what I need to do each time to do it. And Charles, whenever he gets the time, he'll just like do bursts of work. Right, right. Um, to get his stuff done. Just um, when he has a spare minute. Yeah, all right. <laughs> of the, like eight billion projects he's doing. Uh-huh. He's a man. Because so he's busy. amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but not well managed. <laughs> no, I guess not. Um, we don't have we don't have a particular project management tool. I mean, we meet up regularly to discuss what we've done to keep to keep us on task. Because in the past, if we hadn't done that, it would be weeks before <laughs> anything important had gotten done. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now we do it fairly regularly to keep people on task. Yeah, when I said tools, I meant more like. What what do you do? Oh, sure. Not necessarily well, like the, like strategies. the strategies. Yeah, yeah, sure. that's, yeah, that's a better way to say it. Strategies. Okay. Well, yeah. I, I guess our strategy is to just meet regularly so that if somebody didn't do anything, we can sort of shame them into doing something. <laughs> <laughs> Not like literally, but um, it just helps. It's it's a little motivating because something you got done that was exciting, you get to share it with your team. Um, and then maybe you were just having a difficult week and you can explain to people what's going on so they're not confused as to why you didn't get stuff done that you had planned on getting done. Mm. And sometimes it's helpful just to make sure that everybody's going in the same direction uh, because sometimes you'll work on something and then get distracted with this bug or get distracted by this new feature you want to add in or something. And if you meet up with other people, you realize, oh, I probably should have finished this thing instead. So so like priority, managing yes. priorities and stuff. Yes. All of that, yeah, that's useful stuff. Um, if only, I wish we could use Trello better, but I don't know if, would be convenient for us at this point. Mm-hmm. We just opted not to do it. When I was following the immersion program and documenting them, they they did an agile workshop where they uh, uh, learned the agile production method, and they all became converts to the Church of Agile. <laughs> and it was really fun to watch. And I learned a lot too, just being a you know in the corner uh, with my camera. But it's it is hard to do unless you have somebody to manage. It. Right. I hold myself accountable. I'm a one man team here, so it's. Uh, it's sort of hard to even justify that much infrastructure mm-hmm. uh, managing it. Um, but I know that when I do keep track of tasks on a Trello board, it does help me. But I know that a lot of times what people do is just add stuff to a Trello board until it gets a million miles long, mm-hmm. and they don't do it in terms of um, milestones or iterations. And it makes it very difficult to manage, and it can end up hurting you. I think. Yeah, right. Um, but yeah, it's it's tough to do. Like in it, watching the the immersion cohort during the their game jam try to all do an agile method and mm-hmm. all kind of not doing it right. But like, <laughs> but getting enough from it to like actually be more on task and like it was interesting to it taught it showed me how flexible that ideology is. Yeah. Um. But at the same time, it's not infinitely flexible. Mm. It can you can use it wrong or it can go wrong. And I know that I've been, I've, sometimes I'll just be two weeks, I'll be working on a bunch of stuff, and I'll look at my to-do list, and it will just, I'll have gotten way off track because I didn't reorder my priorities. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't spend the 15 minutes to, like, set myself to the next week of tasks. Mm-hmm. And I ended up doing other things that were perfectly fine, but then I lost the thread. And I, mm-hmm. I uh, you know. Yeah. Know. Yeah. Yeah, it takes actual time to manage your project management. <laughs> right, right. Whatever it is. <laughs> like, I find that at uh, where I work. We have Jira, which is another project management tool, mm-hmm. um, which is you have boards and you have little cards that you move from from stage to stage. Like, I'm doing this. I'm finished with this. And I'll look at it and be like, oh, I'm not working on that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. And, like, I just assign it to you things because <laughs> she's working on so much stuff that just comes in randomly from people. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing that is hard to manage is, like, your your random things that come in, like, oh, this bug that needs yeah. to be fixed right now on this game needs to be done right now. Mm-hmm. And that takes priority over all the other things. Also, I mean, as indie devs, we're motivated by what's motivating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's a lot easier to do the things that are either fun <laughs> um, or immediate. 
Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, and that that does not is not conducive to proper project management, <laughs> but it gets you working on it. Keeps you keeps you going. Yeah. And so it's that's a balance that's sort of hard to find. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. We should probably explain what agile is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not a bad idea. <laughs> um, so you actually went through a cohort that talked about it very. Yeah, we did. At, at one of the glitch immersion. Yeah, it's pretty interesting because uh, we got a different impression from uh, our group. Uh, some of the people enjoyed Agile and some people didn't. Hmm. Where it seems like it was unanimous in the most recent. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, basically, Agile is a very it's a, a very adaptive way of making games. Uh, you or you just have to you basically have like a two week sprint, um, and everybody has a certain amount of tasks that they have to do, and each one are assigned different points. Um, so like if you like some some tasks are worth I don't know four points, and some tasks are worth two points. You basically have to reach this quota by the end of the sprint. Um, so not you don't necessarily have to have done everything, but you just need to make sure you get to a certain point. I believe so. It's been a little bit since I've done it, but well, that that's the sort of like in the moment. Uh, task management right. of it, but I think one of the key things about Agile is that once you get done with that sprint, you have a, like a, a working prototype. Yes, that's yes. That's, no, that's right. That's key to it is that you have something that works, like mm-hmm. or, or rather you have a feature that works or something. Yeah. Rather than I'm going to build the you know the 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 data system for managing player stats, and I'm going to spend three months on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, well, someone over here is going to work on the animation system, and, gonna, and then we're going to, at the end of six months, we're going to put it all together. Yeah. Agile says, like, get minimum viable on everything that's important now, make it playable, and I'm doing air quotes here. <laughs> um, and then the next two weeks, you and you can have different priorities as you go, and that also allows for a lot more iteration because you can test things rather than just uh, referring back to a design document. Yeah, um, you can actually see them in the wild. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. It makes it really easy to play test. Yes. Which is helpful. Yeah. Um, so it's it's very, I I find it to be very useful. I think iteration is the best way to make games, mm-hmm. as opposed to the previous or the waterfall method, right? Where you just uh, work on something for a year and then you finally release it. Yeah. And then you or you, you show it to whoever you're supposed to show it to, and they're like, ah, I don't like this direction. Can you do it all over? <laughs> That's yeah. Yeah. It's not good. Well, we were talking about in you know play the playtesting se- session about like working by yourself for so long and then showing it to someone right. and realizing everything needs to change. Yeah, that's the criticism that the waterfall method has. Yep, you have yep. this design document, this this idea of what you want, and that you just every decision you make refers back to that. Uh, when you should I do this or this? Well, what does the design document tell me about that? But that is not real knowledge. That's just a that's a it's a goal hypothesis. It's yes. exactly right. That's, yeah. Phrasing it in a scientific method way that sounds pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's and it's not testable until it's ready, and that may be months from now. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty universally in games development, I think agile is kind of where everyone's at. Yeah, and there's not a ton of arguments for doing it another way. I could see that there could be. When I was researching some project management stuff, there was one thing that came up that was called Kanban. 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 And it's. Uh, came out of Toyota, actually, mm. um, in Japan. And it's basically agile, but not with sprints. Mm-hmm. So basically, you've got a board uh, with a bunch of different tasks on it, and there's different columns on the board that represent different things, like this one's you're in progress, this one is you're done, this one's a, all the backlog of things that you need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can... Uh, organize what's called swim lanes. So that's rows going across that are like, these are uh, 
all the things that need to be done for like audio or, or music or like visuals. Or it can be like, these are the things that need to be done right now. And these are the things that are a little bit less priority, blah, blah, blah. The cool idea that comes out of it that's different from Agile, I think, is like you can only have a certain amount, you can decide how many tasks you want to be able to be in each uh, board yeah, or okay. each column. Okay. So like you can only have three things in the doing like, hmm. column okay. and only like five things in your backlog ah. or like five things in like the up next. Yeah. And so that keeps it so that everyone can see all the tasks that need to be done, but you, can only, you can't work on more than is capacity for your group to work on uh, at once and then it's organized instead of by time by like we need to get these done for this feature that sounds there's a bit of artifice to it right you you decide how many things you can do and that's arbitrary to an extent but that focuses you mm-hmm. um i can really see the appeal of that method yeah and it's, it seems like it's also flexible the way agile is yeah it seems like it's like at my at my work we have a lot of we have individual projects we're working on mm-hmm. and then like long-term things that need to be done but yeah. don't have a time limit. Like, So like you could have an agile thing for like your features that you're making in your game. Like, oh, we're going to add this new boss in Vengeance mm-hmm. or uh, a new level in Metro Nexus or something. And then, then you have long-term ongoing things like we need to do more social media mm-hmm. and here's all, all these things we need to do for that. Mm-hmm. That don't necessarily have a timeline and don't ever end. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you yeah. can keep moving them from like yeah. little bits of them across. Oh, okay, huh. that's interesting. Yeah, that seems pretty useful. If um, you need to, if you if it's hel- if it's helpful for you to separate your tasks based on like subject or topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that like with with my group, we don't really spend a lot of time on social media and I suppose that's my job so that's my fault but uh, oh it was just an example I wasn't like no 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 I, you're not it's fine I, I, I think that like I, I think that's just really useful tool to be able to do that yeah to segment it in that way so, so how, how did we how did we manage Clawbreaker because oh, like yeah. with Game Jam specifically that's that's difficult that's difficult because, yeah like, I feel like a Game Jam is like one sprint yeah well yeah effectively right <laughs> and so you just, but I mean, you only have so much time, so the Trello board can't get too long. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, at the at the Global Game Jam a uh, month ago, Martha, you were the project lead on your game, right? I was the one who put the stuff on Trello board. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I would describe Martha as the one who led us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we used we used a Trello board mm-hmm. just for our forty eight hour game jam, mm-hmm. and that was pretty useful. Thought so. It, it we started out strong, and then I know Charles and I stopped paying attention to it. Yes. And then you then became the scrum master, sort of, where you, which was great because it actually worked out pretty well. Because I don't, I mean, it was a burden on you, perhaps. No, it's fine. But it ended up it focused me a lot because I could just check in and see, and and I didn't have to worry necessarily about ideating those mm-hmm. as much. Uh, maybe I'm just saying that because it took something off my shoulders, but it, it, I, I felt the benefit of of having that mo- ha- being managed. Yeah, I suppose. I I like. I'm glad you felt that way. <laughs> I like having uh, some at least someone whose job it is to manage that stuff. Yeah. And, and know what's going on. So then, if you're a person working on something, you don't have to worry about what everyone else is doing. You're just working on your part of it yeah mm-hmm. and right. you can look and see oh this is what so-and-so is working on this is what so-and-so is working on so when i'm done with this this will be yeah yeah i can integrate my thing with their thing and so everyone's on the same page and what you're doing and you don't end up doing two things at once i remember uh i was 
project manager for the um, Prime Digital Academy where I was uh, learning to code, we had a final project where we were in groups and worked for an actual client from outside. Um, and in my group, we had one person who was, uh, he had to go off and, and uh, be work remotely for a couple of days, mm-hmm. and he didn't pay attention to our Trello board at all. Oh. And so <laughs> I was having putting him on different tasks, and then he would email me and be like, I'm done with this HTML page. And I was like, oh, that's what Jake was working on. Oh. So now you both have that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's where like, like listening to your product manager is like really important yeah. because mm-hmm. they're the ones who know the big picture of everything. Right. right. So yeah. 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 And it, it, I think when you, have, when you have a manager, you then are free of the burden from having to like figure out what to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds obvious, but like it is very natural for people to want to decide what to do, right? Yeah. To, to evaluate the situation and then make the, the best choice. Right. They may in fact be qualified to do that. I know I often feel qualified to do that, but at the same time, it's worthless unless everybody else agrees that that's right. the next thing we should be doing. Mm-hmm. And so that is an advantage to like just keeping in touch. Yeah. One. <laughs> <laughs> oh. No, I was just going to say communication is really important. Yeah. In project yeah. management. <laughs> well, that helped a lot during the game jam, especially. We were just shouting out our statuses and asking our, each other questions almost constantly, mm-hmm. and that was so valuable. Um, on top of it being sort of written down, and so we had. So the, the discussions we had had a starting point always. Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's one thing to keep track of stuff, and then you also need to then uh, engage with it, mm-hmm. right? For sure. Another thing that a project manager can do is make sure that everything's going okay with you and also that you have everything that you need to actually do the task. Yeah. Because sometimes you don't know like, how to ask for all the stuff that you need. Like, oh, I can't do this thing. So I'll just yeah. sit here and wait. Mm-hmm. Right. And no one knows that you don't have the sprite that you need to do the animation, but yeah. you're whatever. So, so my dad was a project manager when he was working, um, mm-hmm. and he texted me some Ooh. project management advice. Um, so one, three, he had three questions he would always ask everybody every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would come up to them and say, do you have all the resources you, you need? Do you have any roadblocks or impediments? And are you on schedule? Mm-hmm. <laughs> And he found that asking questions that way instead of just saying, how are you doing? Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> got people to respond and like he was able to solve their problems. And then they didn't have to worry about it. He could go off and worry about it. Yeah. And everyone knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. And he says, a project manager is more of a problem solver than anything else. If you don't have the resources, the project manager finds them. If there are roadblocks, the project manager helps to find a way to get around them. If you're not on schedule... The project manager alters it or adds more resources or changes scope. Above all, the project manager communicates with management as to the state of the project so they can make proper decisions and not be blindsided or surprised. Yeah. That's basically the gist of it. Yeah. That's good. So basically a guardian angel. Yeah. (laughs) And that is interesting because we talk about how important it is and and how vital it is that somebody be focused on it. And that's not something that's often practical or realistic for indie devs. Right. One man teams for three man teams. So, um, I mean, Martha, what do you think? Like, how how do we make that work? Because we know what it requires, and we don't always have that ability. It's true. I, I was lucky to work with someone like Danica, for example, right. <laughs> <laughs> who is great, and we need to have on the show. Danica, yeah. you're going to be on our show. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Prepare your notes now. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't have the resources to put a whole person on it, uh, or you're a one one person team, even just setting aside. And asking yourself the like, project management questions like, 
Do I have all my resources? Right. Am I on the schedule that I put out for myself? Like just once a week checking in with yourself or yeah. with your teammates. Yeah. Like you, do, yep. you guys yeah, do. You exactly. don't follow like a specific like methodology, but you guys all check in with each other. Yes. Yeah, and that's really helpful because we 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 know where everyone is at, and we know what what has gotten done, what hasn't. Right, right. Yeah. This is something I definitely need to do because I you know, drive myself very frequently as a one man shop, but I am bringing in artists to help me design uh, levels for my game. Mm-hmm. Martha's giving me a face now because she's one of them. <laughs> I am really bad about keeping in touch with those people because mm-hmm. I I have the self consciousness that I'm asking favors of them. Um, I've set aside some money to pay people for their work. But at the same time, I still can't bring myself to be their boss about it. Like yeah. actually, like, hey, where's that thing I asked for? And so I, I know I'm just I'm calling myself out here that I need to be better at that. And Martha, every time you give me that face, like I'm sorry, I haven't made any progress. Like that's all my fault. <laughs> <laughs> I think progress is just not visible progress. Okay, all right. Well, show me that progress ASAP. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's. It, I think the mindset is important. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I think. I think the one big takeaway is like it doesn't matter if you use waterfall or agile or whatever these buzzwords are, but like if you have a organization for yourself, then like that's the most important part, and yeah. and for your team. Yeah, I think that's a nice note to end off. Yeah. So next, we're going to talk to Mark about messages and meanings. Ready for this? Okay, we're back for the last topic of the show, uh, my topic. Um, it's about messages and meanings in games. Um, we talked about narrative a couple weeks ago. We did. And one of the things that I felt that, Stephen, you and I didn't have, well, not that we didn't have an agreement on, but we just felt differently about, mm-hmm. is what's important in, in, a, in a game, yeah. I suppose, and what's maybe more important, the priorities that we put on it as designers and players. Sure. Actually, yep. as players more than designers, probably. Yeah, I guess at this point, yeah. And one of the things I wanted to talk about was games as art, games as an avenue of, of a meaning, because there's a, a big difference, I think, between games with strong story and character and things you'd associate with, with, um, with other mediums that have messages, mm-hmm. uh, film, uh, uh, novels, that sort of thing. Um, and games that actually say something, either through their mechanics or through their story or something else. Um, and I wanted to ask you guys, as developers, um, I, I imagine it's important to you in, to some degree, but how important is it for games in general to say a thing? Um, I feel like with video games specifically, it's less important than other media solely because video games aren't just about saying something or telling a story. Or sure. Portraying a message of some form. Sometimes video games are just supposed to be fun, little pastimes. That you yeah, play. yeah. Like I wouldn't say that baseball is trying to <laughs> say a message whenever you're playing baseball, unless you're in Summerland. <laughs> unless you're in Summerland. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll put that in the show notes. Oh yeah, <laughs> in um, which it is the core of your existence. But anyway, continue. <laughs> but um, yeah, so sometimes there are just games that aren't supposed to send a message, like Pong. There's not really a message in Pong. It's a basically a sport. It's effectively a sport. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, then that's the difference, I think, between... That's that's where I bump up against it a little bit. And I'm not sure how consistent I am in my feelings about this, mm-hmm. but um, games, activities, sports, things that have rules, those are designed to be activities for fun. Yeah. Right? Video games are that as well. Right. But they have the power to do something more than that. They do. And I have very little respect for games that don't take that seriously. Mm. I think. Explain. 
I don't know. Like, uh, I mean, this is one of the things I don't like esports because okay, they're yeah. just sports. Yeah. And I, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we had this discussion. Well, right? we, th- we've had this, but I think that it's, yeah. the, it's, it's not just about like, uh, you know, having story or the aesthetic, which is important to me yeah. as a designer, but that video games particularly have a much more powerful, um, I feel like it's, uh, there's more duty on the designer as an artist than there is, um, uh, to someone who's designing like an activity, uh, okay. I suppose I'm not being super clear about this, and that's kind of why I wanted to get your guys' opinion sure. because I this de- this definitely affects the games I play. Yeah. Um, and that I'm not really interested in games that are solely pastimes. Hmm. At least I don't. I mean, I'm sure I play them. Yeah, I'm, I was I'm almost certain say, that like, I do. Super Mario 3D World. I remember you talking about that. One of the things that, the, this is the example I wanted to cite for you guys yeah. is there are games that have really strong story and say a lot and are emotionally affecting. So yeah. a game like Portal 2, for example. Sure. Portal 2 is an excellent example of story. We've talked about it before, but Portal 2 isn't really about anything. Yeah. And that's fine. That like that I, I guess I don't mean to disparage that it, you know that it needs to have a message exactly, but I think that that's that's different from and then say like a like a multiplayer like a, a Mario co-op game yeah through its mechanics and through its art style it engender a lot of Nintendo games especially this is one of the things that um, I read recently about uh, late Satoru Iwata mm-hmm. talked about games as avenue for for like social communication and that's why Nintendo games tend to be cute because that is that itself is a meaning yeah. and I, I maybe it's a stretch but I okay. feel that there's that's the difference between like narrative and and, and message like a, a game can say something without having a story. I would totally disagree with you really? on Portal 2 not <laughs> yeah. having social commentary. Oh, okay. Uh, I'd say it's social satire, perhaps. But Which I, is commentary. Yeah, uh, fair enough. I, I mean... And it could be making some sort of commentary on the me- like the, me- the mechanization of our world and the, the decay of systems and I, revenge I guess. being I, meaningless. I, still, I mean, I love the story in Portal 2. I don't know. I, like I said, I don't think it's about anything. <laughs> like, right? No. No. Okay. <laughs> well, help me out. What am I? What am I, I mean, I don't want to make this just a fight about Portal, but like, but no. Tell me, like, um, what, what am I? What am I missing? Well, I'm not going to be able to come up with specific things <laughs> because I haven't. I don't even remember. That's okay. I'm also not prepared for this argument. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just. I feel like it would. It has meaning even if it's not exactly a metaphor. Sure. What I mean, like mm-hmm. the fact that you're playing a woman is a political statement. Mm-hmm. You're bad person being spoilers trapped, <laughs> like yeah, woman who was forced into this mechanical body. Mm-hmm. I think that says a lot of about. Mm-hmm. And like, what is the meaning of death? Okay. Because like, I don't know. I felt like yeah, when I was playing that game, it had lots of depth and asked lots of interesting questions like that. I guess that's the di- well. I I don't disagree about any of that. I think for uh, like though, and those little like just having the protagonist be a woman that itself. I mean, it's a small thing, but that is definitely a meaning, right? Mm-hmm. So I won't argue with that. I think that I guess maybe I'm just trying to draw the distinction between a powerful story and a powerful message, um, or not even powerful, but uh, um, something that has a lot of story versus that. Like one of my favorite movies of all time is Ghostbusters, <laughs> and I'll defend that to the end of the world. Mm-hmm. But like. I it's not of it doesn't have anything to say exactly. Well, from you know? what I remember, and that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> I, like I'm not saying that. I, I'm just saying that. I guess when I say that there's certain yeah. games I don't respect. Yeah. Um, that might that's a little loaded, but like games that do neither, 
Okay. That that have no. They don't have a narrative they, or a message. They have no ambitions to tell a good story or to say anything. I think it's our duty as indie developers to even at the, at, the, at the margins, even right mm-hmm. to to keep it in mind at least. Uh, well, I, I guess I don't agree with that because mm-hmm. that's not all that games are about. Some games are just toys. Yeah, that's true. And so sometimes you just want to play something that has very little meaning or very yeah. little social context or whatever. Right. Um, and I don't. I guess I don't mean to say that games yeah. should be forced no, I, to have those things. I get that, but it should. You should definitely keep it in mind for sure. Yeah. Because sometimes you might make it. You might do something, or there might be a mechanic in the game that you mean to that you intend to not have any meaning that does have meaning. Ah, it could be poor. It could be good or bad. That's really interesting. Right. So I can't come up with a good example right now. But in Assassin's Creed Liberation, mm-hmm. uh, there was. Uh, this is this is the Assassin's Creed game where you play as a black woman. Uh, she was she could dress up as different people, or she could dress up as like uh, a respectable woman, or a slave, or or an assassin, um, and it depend and it, it affected like how people uh, treated you and things. And that was really interesting. But uh, there was oh maybe this is a different one. Well, there was DLC uh, in one of the Assassin's Creed games where another person you were supposed to like collect slaves to to free them, but like. They ended up really just being like currency, mm. uh, not not currency because you. Well, no, yeah, I think you use them as, to like buy power ups or something. I didn't play it; I only read a bunch of articles on sure. it. Sure, but um, like maybe they were trying to be, they were trying to have different social context for that. But the way that the game played out, it ended up meaning a lot, yeah, worse yeah. than what they had intended. You know, an article that came out recently, yes. and I'm just looking it up here, is there's a, a new game called For Honor. It's yeah. a sort of a it's a little it's kind of mindless. You pick between like a Viking and a and a soldier or whatever. I've not played this game, so I'm not I'm not free to judge it on its uh, mechanical merits. But okay. um, there's a, there's a, a, a rallying cry in it that a lot of the players have been using. It's sort of just some some uh, in a bunch of memes. Yeah. Turns out, uh, so has the alt right. Um, oh. Just in the past couple of months, it's a coincidence, um, but. It was something that they could have caught and they perhaps should have and didn't, and so that's an unintended yeah. meaning. Yeah, um, that's very recent, and I think that's when you mentioned that. I think that's probably cuts closer to my concern about this issue. Yeah. Is the idea that when people don't care about that, yeah, that they think that games don't have that duty to consider, um, which isn't. I mean. It, you know, like I said, I'll defend Mario even though it has very little meaning mm-hmm. because I believe it has, it, it feels considered at least. Okay. Oh. Um, I think that like as, or, you know, baseball is another example where like baseball is a sport. Like I'm not going to decry it for not telling a story or, or, you know. There's whole academics. That's true. People <laughs> who write whole dissertations on the theater of sport. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that, I mean, that's interesting too, right? Like yeah. that that uh, games have meaning that's outside of their play. Yeah. Um, esports especially has that. Yeah. Um, the there's meta game and there's also like uh, uh, communities and the theater of it and right. all of that. And I think that as indie devs and you know we our scopes are limited, um, but I feel that I know as a as an artist myself, I I feel it's a duty to to use the opportunity I have when making a thing like this. And my game is like an arcade style game. <laughs> there is not much to it in that sense, but I am, I am very more often than you, anyone would probably guess thinking about its meaning. Yeah, um, I get that. So I think I understand where you're coming from. It sounds, but I think the issue I have is mm-hmm. that you're using the word 
duty to describe it. I feel like yeah. I'm gonna say social obligation because duty is a weird word. Okay. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. This games club, huh? Uh, <laughs> I feel like I feel like I I wouldn't feel like we have the obligation to. It's important to make sure that what what you're making um, is not oppressive or bad or in poor taste mm-hmm. um, when you're doing it. And, and, and it's important to keep that in mind. But I don't think that making it or I don't think that having the the message and this is this is a different this is an interesting topic. Mark. Thanks for bringing. <laughs> you don't think that the game necessarily has to be all about that. I yeah well something. that yes but I also don't necessarily think that uh, you're you're do, you're necessarily doing a disservice by not f- focusing on what the message of your game is. Mm-hmm. I think that to be honest, I think that that probably would make your game stronger if you did pay attention to the message. Yeah. Um. But and maybe that's all I'm saying. Okay. I suppose. Um. I feel like I want to say something more than that, mm-hmm. but sure. but but I I think that might just be all I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, let's say, like, your, if your duty to care. Yeah, I I, like if you're making a pong game, the context of the game could be important. So maybe you're making a, you're just making a bare bones pong game, but you put it in like a sports arena, and there's a bunch of crowds next to you, and yeah. they'll cheer whenever you get a hit, good hit, sure. and you score. That, I mean, in itself, that has no meaning, but it 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 improves the game. It gives the player a better feeling because they, yeah, they're put into the context of like an arena sort of thing. Yeah, no, right. Those yeah. those are the kinds of things that yeah, when you when you come up with those ideas, I feel so I do feel you have a duty to to not let it go by, mm-hmm. right? To consider it and decide how much you of it want, I suppose. Yeah. And then be certain that you that it is considered, right? Yeah. Just saying the same thing over and over again. But <laughs> That's fine. um I I think where I will go further is uh-huh. to say that I think it's an opportunity lost uh-huh. if you don't if you are adding aesthetic uh, story. If you're adding those sorts of extra elements to what would otherwise be something that you could play with props in the backyard, yeah. Um, that I feel like it's an, it's an opportunity lost if you don't take advantage of that to say something. Mm. What is your game saying, Mark? So my game is uh, the you play as a character who has to re- repair train lines around the world. Okay. And the the sort of the rough story of it is that in the future we've run out of oil. The only thing you can do now is ride the train, and it's all owned by one privatized company. And it, the notion is that you are set out to, you're just an employee of this company trying to fix these things. You find a way to do it better. And so the, the single player campaign is you, like you're sort of going outside of the rules mm-hmm. to repair these things um, so that everyone can be neighbors. Like that's the idea is that you make neighbors of everyone on earth by connecting world cities Aww, with public sweet. transit. That's nice. It, it's a little Pollyannish, frankly. Um, okay. But it's, it, it comes from like my belief that, um, collectivism is not hegemony, mm-hmm. that we can be together and be different. And these are all very high-minded ideas that my arcade game, I will be honest, does not convey very strongly. Okay. <laughs> but it is but some, you're taking it into consideration. It is something I'm thinking about right. all the time. Okay. And um, and I'm not embarrassed by that. I'm no, not, I'm, you shouldn't be. But I'm not embarrassed that it's not coming out in the gameplay necessarily. Yeah, and you shouldn't but, necessarily be embarrassed about that either. Sure, sure. But, you know, um, Martha, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm contracting you and many other artists to design uh, different skins for the levels, each world city. Mm-hmm. And they're in wildly different styles. And that, again, is the same, is that the gameplay is the same, but everything looks different. Yeah. And so that is, again, the idea of this sort of like we are 
the same but different. And that's, yeah. that is an important part of it. And how that is expressed and how that's interpreted, you know, as an artist, you can be really prescriptive about things or you can just let your audience decide. I'm not really coming on either side of that. Mm. But it's just something that I care about and I'm thinking about. Um, okay. But that also is in the gameplay of my game. So my game is a competitive single screen battle game unless you decide to play together, in which case it's a co-op game. And so that mechanic is actually very important to the ideology of my game, okay. which is that it's more fun to battle, but you can get a high score by playing together. Okay. I feel relatively proud of that as, yeah. as, a, as a concept. I'm perfectly happy for people to n- prefer to play the battle mode because it's designed to be more fun, but that's kind of the point as well, is that it's harder to work together. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's shoot, That's That's <laughs> deep. I had no idea. Well, see, there you go. That, I'm making a level for your game. I had no idea. <laughs> but that's the, uh, the that's why the burden is on the developer, not the player. Oh yeah, uh, to, to to consider these things. Yes, I think that's yeah. I think I think we are artists, and we should be artists. Okay, that's that's huh? That's the flag all plant. All right, all right. Now oh, that is that's beautiful. <laughs> I Thank you, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's. Cool. I well, still don't agree with you on Portal 2, though. I'm stuck <laughs> back on that. I'm just like, how can you not see? And then there's a the whole thing where it's like the companion cube and caring about inanimate objects, mm. and then the fact that Gladys is lying to you the entire time, and so it's like, can you trust the people who are in charge? Are you really, is this really the world that you're living in? Or, yeah. You need, it, is, it is a ripping yarn. I'll, I'll give that. <laughs> you need to look deeper. That, it, may, it may be my mistake for using that as an example. Because I think you had a couple of good examples there of why I might not be so right about that one. Well, let's move on a little bit from the ideological sort of force of this. Yeah. And talk about what you guys, and, and I went over it, but what do you guys want to say with your work? Well, with Vengeance, we're not trying to say much of anything. Sure. Which I just... That, and that's like fine. Yeah, right? I, I, I don't want to because, yeah. I mean... The game doesn't make much sense. You're a fish who can't breathe underwater, piloting submarines, shooting at dolphins. Yeah. Except there aren't any dolphins in the game yet. You need to get on that. Your game has story. And, it does. And I, I, there's something there if you dig into it. it yes. Sure. It's just none of that is in the game yet because we haven't Join that focused. club, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we haven't, we haven't yeah. focused on implementing a lot of that. Sure, sure. Yet. But, well, you've got enough trouble finishing this thing right. as I do. But, you know, uh, going uh, forward, what, what do you want to say with your body of work, perhaps? Um... I don't know. I guess just a variety of things. Mm-hmm. None of them are particular, a particular um, topic. I just sure. a bunch of different things. I don't know. I I've always been interested in telling a story with the mechanics, but I don't. I'm not exactly sure on what story I want to tell. Okay, sure. Yeah. I guess um, what I'm what I get out of Vengeance is mm. like working together is fun. Okay. I don't know, and mm-hmm. makes that's it, good. Like I think teamwork is what I get from that. Yeah. That yeah. That, that is a meaning. Okay. Like I'm not just like buttering you no, up here. I, like I, I get something from that. Yeah, and that's that's important. Well, that's good because I mean teamwork is important, and that's how we design all of the characters mm-hmm. and uh, the enemies, um, like the whole game. So yeah. that that's good that that's coming across. I I think that teamwork, that feeling of teamwork, is more of a method to make the game feel better. Yeah. And so by considering that in the message, or considering that message, uh, we've enhanced the gameplay of Finn. Right, right, right. So that's important. Right, and as, you know, from your perspective as mechanics being the sort of core value yeah. of a video game, yep. that isn't to say that that a meaning has to be at odds with it. They can, oh. they can be reinforcing each other. They should be yeah. reinforcing each other, unless that's the point, in which case then it's a different kind of game. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> I guess I, I, have, I have a concept in mind that I've been 
I have been tooling around with recently um, where I wanted to talk about like relationships, not necessarily like boyfriend, girlfriend kind of relationship or whatever, but just like relationships in general, maybe. Um, They're like podcast hosts, the podcast hosts. <laughs> <laughs> yes, kind of. exactly. Uh, I, wanted, I wanted to make a cooperative, a two-player cooperative game where uh, two people are, they have different skills, but they have to rely on each other to, sure. to be, get through the game. Mm-hmm. Um, in some way, so that like both players not only understand each other's perspectives and different uh, skills and abilities, but they also understand their relationship as a result. Sure. Um, this is something I want to do. I've really just tooled with the concept much. I haven't like made any prototypes or anything, but that's yeah. something I would like to mm-hmm. eventually do. Yeah. What about you, Martha? Do you have any games you want to or messages you want to tell? Well, I'm trying to think what our message with Clawbreaker is. Be the best. <laughs> that there ever was <laughs> um, four claws enter two claws well, leave <laughs> I don't I mean Bing. I don't know uh, well I've been thinking about in all the, the little projects I've been making like trying I guess not necessarily a social message or something mm-hmm. but like making sure like my characters are all different ethnicities and races and genders and yeah. stuff like that and wanting to make sure like people are represented and stuff and that I'm doing it in not a campy way yeah, like not sure. like stereotypes and yeah. stuff mm-hmm. so I haven't made any stories fully yet that I want right, to right. say but like just making sure that people are included yeah in what I'm doing yeah I think with the discussion that comes around here at Glitch a lot is representation. And I think that's something that like any game can benefit from that as a consideration. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I really like this topic a lot because I think that developing a game with a core concept in mind, maybe perhaps a message, maybe it's just an idea or a yeah. feeling you want the player to experience. Mm-hmm. I think that that's that is what makes game or the best game is having like that core concept that you focus on in design based off of mm-hmm. and the, like develop based off of the whole the art direction and everything. Um, should be if it's focused on that one core uh, concept, your the players will feel that best. Yeah, and that's mm-hmm. when the media is strongest because there's no no other media has that ability to have um, a player feel a certain thing about um, a certain topic mm-hmm. than uh, video games do. Yeah, yeah, and this is what's one of the criticisms people have about AAA production is that they don't have a vision. Yeah. And I think in, as indie developers, we have, this is why I consider it a duty to consider is because okay. we are the only ones who can do it. <laughs> right? Yeah. 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 That's our show. If you haven't already, subscribe to Nice Games Club in your favorite podcast app and be sure to give it a good review if you liked it or are nice like us. And check out our feedback form. Yes. Nicegames.club slash feedback. Tell us how we're doing. Yeah. We'd love to know. Yeah. Um, we also want to hear directly from you through the feedback form or by following us on Twitter and all the other things at Nice Games Club. Let us know how we're doing. Send us your topics and ask us your questions. Lastly, you can find out more about the show and your nice hosts as well as all the links and notes from this episode at nicegames.club. So until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. that music downstairs? 
Uh, yeah. It's very nice, actually. It's, a, it's very soft. I'm going to fall asleep almost. <laughs> <laughs> As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.